Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Kevin, welcome to It's TechTastic. How are you? Doing great. So I just interviewed somebody that their cybersecurity, that's their business. And we got into the topic of humans are the biggest surface area for threats, right? Absolutely. And all of a sudden now, like it's so easy to spoof your voice. Uh, It actually goes to me also to social media. Absolutely. So a bunch of us are working from home now. It looks like you are. I definitely am. And we we have a great office policy where where we actually have a one day you got to go to the office so everybody can meet. So most of our employees are kind of around here and stuff like that. And other than that, it's it's free. You can decide to go in or not. It's like up to you. What, what you know? If you want to see everybody there today, I thought it would be nice to have a podcast with the with the lovely Northwest in the background. Oh yeah, beautiful. That's that's why I'm like he's he's at home. That's too nice. Yeah, it's <laughs> too beautiful out that window. The the reality of what social media I think did it actually created more space between us and our friends in a weird way. We could see what a bunch of casual acquaintances are up to, like what they ate for dinner or whatever the heck they wanted to show. It also showed us an idealized view of their life, which wasn't true. And that created distance, not connection. And when COVID hit, a lot of us started working from home that hadn't in the past, and there was more distance. These tools that allow us to, like right now on this podcast, we're using Zoom to talk to each other and we can see each other and that that's great. But it also means that we're lacking, like I have no need to go into town. I, I don't go into Seattle anymore <laughs> because I don't need to. And so that the actual human connection goes away. But with these tools that allow us to do all kinds of crazy things, like I can generate video of Kevin, like I could generate a video of you sitting there having this conversation with me to generate your voice, right? So now to confirm you are who you are, the only (laughs) real way is to go shake your hand in person. There's a bit of that. It, it, actually, it's interesting you mentioned that because one of the things just on the internet in general, like even in the earliest of days, right? Authentication and identity has never been, you know, at the forefront of anything. You know, when when the internet was first being created, you, you know this already, right? It wasn't like somebody was sitting in a room saying, hey, we're going to invent the web later on and we're going to care about who's <laughs> using it and we need to make sure that there's no bad actors. None of that stuff was ever there. Security always was sort of that secondary thought. You look at email, right? You know, what is it? RFC 822 or something like this. I mean, it's from like the mid 80s and they keep layering things on top of them, but still very insecure in, in all sorts of forms. Now, you mentioned something really, really interesting about people being sort of the, you know, the weakest link, if you will, in, in the security chain, which I've believed for a very, very long time. It's easy to create pretty secure systems, but if you don't use them properly, then you blow it all up. And there was actually a really interesting company. Uh, it got acquired by, I think, a private equity firm recently called No Before. Uh, do, oh, do, do you know them? No, before, but it was uh, the private equity piece that it made me go, oh, 
<laughs> oh yeah, well, it, it was actually public. They they actually took it private again. Okay. Um, but th th what they did is they actually had training tools. I'm sure they still do. I, I haven't looked at it recently. But uh, training tools to try to get your employees to become sort of aware of how somebody could, you know, socially engineer information out of them. And they have tests where like that you can set up phishing attempts against your own employees and see who clicks the link and then go and educate them. Hey, here's what you did that was, you know, that was dangerous and, you know, this could cause problems in the future. So I, it really, really interesting approach, I think, to sort of that security play. Yeah. And I think actually, as you were describing it, I'm like, I'm pretty certain I've been at companies like I'm pretty certain Nike did that going back, you know, over a decade awesome. ago. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of companies try to try to do that, but it doesn't change the fact that like, there are more and more sophisticated ways and it, and the barrier to entry for somebody that wants to be a malicious actor just, I mean, drop to the floor. It's oh, the yeah. only thing I ever had a complaint about the low code, no code systems is that like, you can still create terrible burdensome software and you're more likely to do it if you don't know anything about what you're doing. And, and now right. there's AI tools in it. Anybody can just go build whatever the heck they want. All right, they try to put protections in place with the chat uh, like ChatGPT tries to put in protection so that you don't use it for malicious attacks, but you can get around that. You can like there's there's plenty of ways to get around it. Oh yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting space, especially when you start thinking, hey, is there going to be a point where you can, you know, come up with your own, we'll call it attack vector, and then optimize it further by using AI tools, not so much just ChatGPT, but anything around it, just to try to continually probe and refine and get better and better and better. And I mean, you got to start getting nervous about where some of that could go. And I know there's lots of legislative ideas of how you can fix this, but I don't think that's going to work because it's technology. Anybody can create the technology to begin with, right? So yeah. it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how that cat and mouse game in the security world changes. But we'll see where it goes. I, I don't know if you know, but I got my start actually at Symantec. I worked on hard oh, antivirus no. for, for three yeah. years. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So so I've, I've always kind of had a, a little bit of interest in the security space. But I, again, I'm, I'm in marketing now, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're as far away from that as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I hesitate to share with you some of the, the interesting attack vectors we discovered uh, at a previous company with simple things like mediation.js, the JavaScript file that was dropped on, I think like 75% of all web pages on planet Earth at one point. And yeah. uh, like the third party cookie thing, I'm sure you're pretty familiar with all the things that can be done with that. Oh yeah. One of the principal things that a malicious actor is looking for is data. And sometimes PII gets dropped into places you don't know what's happening. So when you're talking about dirty data, I'm curious, is that what you're, is, are you specifically talking about stuff that's kind of, you don't know what's in it it's and it's potentially risky or? So uh, to me, at least dirty data is a really broad concept. It's not just a security thing, right? It could be, you know, oh, is there a bot coming and filling out forms on my website? And now my sales team is calling, you know, bogus numbers or whatever, just because somebody got paid 10 cents to get that form submission to happen or whatever it was, right? So they, they run the bots at it and, and there it goes. So that's one. Another could be like just even of data that is, let's just call it legitimately collected and has legitimate use behind it. Uh, is it complete? What's it look like? Like, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen people uh, come and they'll deliver some file to us and it'll say, you know, here's Fred and Sally Jones in one column. 
And then you're like, well, okay, that's interesting. But in order to actually work with this a little bit better, we have to kind of split that out. So we know it's Fred Jones and Sally Jones, you know, two separate columns or maybe, you know, two records even to represent that, right? Something to tie them together. And so we see a lot of those kinds of things. And then you start getting into, you know, typo land or I don't live in Seattle. I'm in the Emerald City, right? You know, so you start getting all these kinds of strange, strange, uh, you know, individual data elements that don't necessarily match or standardize. And so when you start looking at that in aggregate, you know, do I have duplicates in inside my CRM. You know, I don't know. This guy said he's in Emerald City. This guy says he's Seattle. It's both, you know, Habib. I don't know if it's the same guy or not, but maybe it is. I don't know. How, how do I find out? So it comes back again, even to that same thing we were just talking about with identity, right? Do you even know who your customers are and information that they may be representing to you? I'm not saying that they're doing it fake on purpose, but they may not enter it in a way that's consistent across all of the records that you have or all the systems that you have, because each system represents stuff differently as well. Yeah, that was the part I was about to, I was like, oh, but it's so much worse because like your ERP and your CRM and your, exactly. you know, right? They're all talking a different language. And even though we're talking about the same objects in the real world, we're rarely yes. talking about them the same way across systems. Yes. And so we, we see also things with like, uh, you know, one of my favorite examples is, is a household level trait, or I, I call it the resolution of data you have. How fine grained does it get? So like, uh, if I come and I, I speak about gender for a person, that's obviously an individual trait, right? But if I said, do you have a, a pet in your household? That's not a household trait. So does it apply to everybody that's in your household? Probably, uh, you know, you could take it further and start thinking more neighborhood or, you know, at a block basis, you know, what's the aptitude of people in this zip code to do thing X, you know, on and on and on. So there's like a resolution component of well, of, excuse me, identity as well, and those attributes and how they get associated to people and different systems use them differently and have different assumptions about what it means. And so one of my favorite examples actually is where people will come and, and they're like, uh, this is my information. And I always question that. It's like, I get why people say that I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not arguing that it's not information that maybe you even created or is, you know, in part your responsibility of maintaining or whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's information that somebody has about you or about, you know, a thing that you have. So it's just who has it and, you know, how they all converge together can be sometimes a bit of a challenge. Uh, bringing that stuff together in a clean way that allows you to use it effectively is a really big challenge. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. You were just triggering a bunch of memories for me. Like the, the previous company <laughs> I was just at was really a data platform. And the data platform, like the reason it existed is the customers of this data platform believed our data is gold. That's worth, you know, it's worth tons of money, but they had no idea why it would be. <laughs> And in reality, their data was largely garbage because they didn't ever do anything to sanitize it. Uh, so like one of the worst things, like the point about the household piece, imagine now you did that, you had that same problem, but for every company on earth, especially multinationals, you had records that represented each geography based on how you were organized and how they were organized. And how that plays out in a horribly gross way, if you can imagine it is, we define North America as everything except for Mexico in North America. You define North America as everything, including Mexico, except for Nova Scotia. So now when those records exist in multiple systems, right, they, it, it gets messy really fast. Yes. That's just one example of how that happens. So that inability of most companies to really think of their data agnostic of their specific use case of it when they're putting it in and trying to say, how would we make this reusable typically makes their data unusable. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting you say that. So one of the things that we launched, I don't know, 
six months ago is a data preparation tool and the very first part of this tool you know you import stuff into the system and it the very first thing it does is it actually looks at what was imported and starts giving you feedback about it uh here you know here's what the basic things here are the fill rates but also if there's like if you identify what the columns are what the content of the columns are it'll look and say this doesn't look like what you said it was this says it's the email address column but you've actually got physical addresses inside there a quarter of the time not an email address right you know just really simple things like that and it's like that's a problem you can identify you can correct it and get a standardized view of these types of things and the way that this tool came to be it, it i mean it gives me chills because it's just so funny uh, we saw people uploading files to our system and then they just turned around and downloaded them without doing any processing whatsoever <laughs> on these things. and i'm like i'm looking at this and i'm thinking to myself like why would you do that like you've gone out of your way to send something to us and then you're not going to buy any product for like why did you do that and it turns out these people were doing it because when you import it to our system we had applied a lot of these types of transforms that cleaned the data up because uh... we needed to do that for our own purpose right for our product to be able to work with the data they're giving to us and so that was one of those things where you know the light bulb goes off like oh this is obviously a real problem everybody seems to have it we should we should put some, you know something together on the market for that so very, very interesting. That is very interesting. Is that a product that you can access via like an API endpoint if I wanted to do data sanitization or? Yeah, so we do have APIs for it. I don't know that those are in production quite yet, but uh, the whole system is built on these APIs and they're if they're not in production yet, I'm not sure. Uh, they are definitely coming. They'll be there before the end of the year for sure. And where would I find out more if I was looking for something like that? What's a good website to go to? Uh, there's a developers.versium.com that you can uh, that you can see the different APIs we have. Uh, we have done uh, recently, and again, I, I don't know when this airs, but probably by let's say by the end of the month or so, we have uh, we have some integrations also with uh, some of the online spreadsheet systems that exist, where you can actually just directly call functions inside there, just like you would for sum, right, or average, except they're the data cleansing or data appending solutions that operate directly inside the spreadsheet for you. Oh, wow. So we see a lot. Of, yeah, we. See a lot of people maintaining you know smaller data sets especially small businesses uh within you know this sort of spreadsheet world as opposed to hey i've got you know some giant database with zillions of users in there so we see a lot of that uh and a lot of times people will have forms like inject directly into you know some of these types of spreadsheet systems as well you know lead capture and things like that it is amazing to me how much of even some very large companies how much of their operations is still spreadsheets principally yeah Hey, we're actually getting short on time. I was just looking at the clock. I'm like, wow, I really got to give him a chance to say where to go. Uh, is there anything you wanted to leave the audience with if they're listening to it and they wanted to learn more? You know, I think it's one of those things where if, you've, if you're doing marketing and you're looking to gather some efficiencies inside there, it could be, hey, I've got whatever, 100 customers, but I only have the ability to reach out to 20 of them or 30 of them, or 40 of them. And you want to expand that and grow that, uh, the number of customers you already have, uh, or you want to find new customers. That's definitely an area that we play. One of the things that we do a really good job at is identifying the business identity and associate that to the consumer identity. So uh, if you think about when you go to you know, your favorite amazon.com or what have you, most people are logging in with their Gmails or their Hotmails or whatever. They're not logging in with the, you know, at microsoft.com or whatnot. So we have very good associations of these types of identities as well. So um, sometimes what that means is that when you go to do onboarding, for example, for advertisements, you're not able to identify those people in the Facebook ecosystem or the Google ecosystem because they're looking at these people as consumers, not as business people. But by the associations that we have, we're able to improve onboarding rates inside these systems dramatically 
automatically because we can say, hey, we know that, you know, Joe at corporation.com is actually the same as Joe at gmail.com. So now suddenly it's much easier to match and improve the overall onboarding rates as well. That sounds very useful. And especially for an entrepreneur that's trying to build a business that's reliant on, you know, you got to market, you got to get out to them. You're, you're oh, yeah. going to uh, increase their ability to do that rapidly. Yep. Kevin, it was lovely having you on the show. I really appreciate you joining me and I'd love to talk with you another time in the future. Please. Absolute joy. Thanks very much for having me. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll swim over one day. <laughs> yeah. I, I would recommend taking a boat. Yeah. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.